0: Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week we continue our Recover All series as we discuss recovering His glory. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message. Wasn't it awesome hearing from our lead pastor last weekend, Pastor Greg, bringing the word, recovering God's name, it was awesome. And so we're him, he's gonna be back very soon. And would you just show your appreciation how much you love him and Pastor Tamra. We're so thankful you are back. We can't wait to see you again soon. So I'm honored to continue our Recover All series. And this week, the title of the message is Recover His Glory. Recover His Glory. And as I was thinking about that title and what we would talk about today, I was thinking we need to recover the reverence and awe, especially in how we worship God. And just as a country, as a nation, but as a church, as a large as well, that we need to focus on our worship, worshiping Him and Him alone. And so if you would turn with me to the book of Exodus, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 20. It's the second book of the Bible. It's right there at the beginning, but we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20. And as you turn there, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just invite you into this place. We praise you. We glorify you, God. Only you deserve the honor and glory. And God, I pray you speak to all of us today and that your presence be at all of our campuses and everyone watching online. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In 2011, just after the revolution that happened in Cairo, Egypt, I was actually blessed with the opportunity to visit Israel and Egypt for the first time. And I know what you're thinking pictures or it didn't happen. So I'm going to show you some pictures. And so the first one we got to go to Cairo, Egypt, that's me in front of the pyramids of Giza. You know, that's no Photoshop, that's legit. And uh, I think you'll like this next one. I actually got to ride a camel right there in front of the pyramids. So. It was a, it was an incredible experience, but what I loved about going to Israel and Egypt is you actually get to do the route of the Exodus. You actually get to see all the places where the Israelite people went from Egypt to Israel. And so I want to show you this map so we can kind of get our bearings. This is the Sinai Peninsula, and it doesn't have the modern-day boundary line, but Israel is up here, Jerusalem is circled in red. So you start, Jerusalem is there. And on our trip, we drove all the way down actually to here, which is Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula, and then we went up over to Cairo. But if you were in the Israelite people and you were following Moses, as they got freed from Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. This is the Red Sea right here. They cross over, and then they go to Mount Sinai, and that's where Moses gets the Ten Commandments and many of the laws. And so that's actually where we're going to pick up this story so the Israelites are freed from Egypt, they saw the plagues, they crossed the Red Sea, and now we're there at the base of Mount Sinai, and that's, this is Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 18, and here's what it says. "'All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. "'You speak to us, and we will listen,' they said to Moses.' But don't let God speak to us or we will die. And Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and you will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord told to Moses, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. Watch this. You have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You must not make gods of silver to rival me. You must not make gods of gold for yourselves. Everyone say must not. not. You must not make gods of gold for yourselves. So here's the picture. I have one more picture. This is actually the mountain range, the Sinai mountain range, and the the peak we're going to see in a moment where we believe Moses was. So imagine the Israelites. They're here at the base of these mountains. There's clouds. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's even a random trumpet playing. I don't know where it came from, but the scripture has it. And you think of all the things the Israelites saw. They saw 10 plagues. They crossed the Red Sea. They saw the entire sea split in two. Then they see God as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And now they come to the base of this mountain. They see this thunder and lightning and they tremble in fear. How much should these people have known that God, Yahweh, was there and that he was real? And he gives them one command. Just one right now. Listen, just don't. Make a gold idol You know, it's not like God asked them, "Listen, don't sneeze for the next month." It's not like he said, "Don't stub your toe and curse for the next month." No, that he said something it would be pretty complicated to do. Just don't make a gold idol. Don't make a gold idol. And so what happens is Moses goes up. After this imperative, Moses goes up the mountain. This is actually a picture from the top of Mount Sinai taken at sunrise. a beautiful scene. And so you just imagine, Moses is up here. He's talking to God. And from Exodus chapter 21 till about 32, Moses is up there on the mountain. This is where he gets the tablets and he hears from the Lord. But here's what happened while he's up there. If you go a few chapters over to Exodus chapter 32, let's see what those Israelite people were up to. So Exodus chapter 32 now, starting at the beginning, it says, "...when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain... They gathered around Aaron, the second in command, and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Isn't that so true even of us today? When God just takes a little bit longer than we expect, when God just takes a little too long to answer us, we start looking for answers in all the wrong places. When we don't hear from God just for a little bit, we start looking for anything that could take his place. And watch what Aaron does. Aaron replied to them, Take off your gold rings that are on your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. So all the people took off their gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Are you serious? This thing, this statue made out of their own jewelry and gold that they fashioned themselves, and now they are saying, here's the God that led us out of Egypt, the God that split the Red Sea and was a pillar of cloud and fire, and they were just trembling at the base of the mountain. But how soon they forgot, how soon they forgot and chose to worship something else. Nice one, Israel. Way to go. And watch as We continue the verses. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses go down at once for your people. I like how God is now saying, Moses, these are your people. I don't know what they're doing, but they're not listening to me. Go down at once for your people who, brought, who I brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Here's Moses, he's coming down with two tablets. They were inscribed on both sides, the Bible says. I like how God did that double-sided printing. He had a lot to say. Inscribed front and back, as he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Imagine just being Moses for a second. You've just been on the top of the mountain, communing with God, hearing from him, getting the commands for the Israelite people, and you come down to find the entire nation doing the one thing they were told not to do. You see, they did not have reverence for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After just a short time, they forgot about all the things God had done. You see, they traded the truth of God for a lie because it was convenient and right in front of them. They broke the first law, loving the Lord your God only. But let's make it real for today. How does this apply even today? I want you to think about this phrase because it is so important to our lives. You see, our nature is to worship either God or something else. Our nature as human beings, we are created to worship something, and we will either worship God or something else. And this happens all the time. You see it even today in popular culture. I wanna show you this clip. This is actually from a Michael Jackson concert that happened in Bucharest, and I won't play the audio, just rest assured it's just screaming fans the entire time. But Michael Jackson literally just stands on stage for two minutes straight, And look at the crowd. I just want you to think about this for a second. This is worship. These people are worshiping something. And you may think that that's a little foolish. Maybe that doesn't apply to you. But maybe you've been to a sports stadium and it looks like this. It looks very much like something is being worshiped. I'm sorry, sports ball fans. But it's something for any of us. We all have a proclivity to want to worship something besides God. And so we need to check ourselves. Are we never missing a game but missing a church service? And I give you one last exhibit. This is from the 2017 Grammy Awards. I had to blur it out because it was inappropriate, but this is a modern music artist. This is 2017, the performance at the Grammys. She's dressed up as a goddess and the dancers around are literally worshiping, worshiping this artist. You can try to do all the mental and verbal gymnastics to tell me otherwise, but let me tell you, this is worship. And they are worshiping something other than God. And if we don't choose to continually, daily refocus on worshiping him, we're gonna worship something else. We need to recover the reverence and the respect and the adoration for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? So how do we do this? Number one, we need to make sure to worship God alone. My first point, number one, worship God alone. Let us not be impatient like the Israelites were. Let us not be distracted by the things of this world. Let us make sure we lift him up and nothing else. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, It may be familiar to some. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And this part is so important. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You know, it's so funny. Paul is writing those verses in the first century, and he's saying, don't be conformed to this age. Well, what was the age they were dealing with? They were dealing with Roman occupation. The Romans covered the entire part of Asia Minor and Europe. They were in charge, and they worshiped idols. They were pagans. They had false gods. And so Paul is saying, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Do not worship these false gods. Do not worship these idols. Only worship the one and true God alone. And listen, let me tell you, that is exactly where we are even today. Even in this nation, in our our world, we try to replace God with so many different things. And I believe Paul is even telling us in this verse, do not be conformed to this age and this time. Only worship God. And so we talk about celebrities and music and all that stuff, but we actually have other idols that we even worship here in America and around the world. And this might sound strange to you, but one of those idols is science. And we put science in the place of God and we say science can give us all the answers. Now listen, Don't get me wrong. I grew up on Bill Nye the Science Guy. Loved it. Neil deGrasse Tyson, fun podcast. I love learning about all the science, and science has done incredible things in medicine and in technology. But you see, science cannot replace God. We can't start worshiping science as though it were a God. You see, we, tell, we say science can give us the meaning of life or, or give us purpose, and that's simply not true. You can't find morality in a test tube. You can't find the purpose of life under a microscope. A case study will not tell you what to worship and who you are and what your identity is. Science cannot do that. Only God. Only God can tell you that. We must worship God alone the great hymn writer Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was the brother of John Wesley. And John Wesley, some might even say he was kind of the starting point for evangelical Christianity. John Wesley talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit at Aldersgate in in England. And his brother Charles wrote so many of the hymns, many we still sing today. And uh, here's a statue of Charles Wesley. Uh, This is outside the New Room in Bristol, England. And Charles Wesley just wrote so much prolific in his poetry and in his writing of hymns. But what I love is John and Charles Wesley were actually the starters of the Methodist denomination. And if you go and look at a Methodist hymnal, Charles Wesley actually left us guidelines and instructions on how to worship. These are hilarious. I had to read some of them. So here's Charles Wesley on how we should worship, especially as we come together as a church. Are you ready? Here's rule number three. Rule number three, Charles says, sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross, take it up and you will find a blessing. Number four, this is his rule for worship. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. He's not mincing words, people. He says, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. What? I think he's saying, if you're singing Beyonce real loud in the car, make sure you match that volume in church. I think that's what he's saying. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And then watch this one more rule. This is rule number seven. Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing Him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve of here and reward when He cometh in the clouds of heaven. I love that first line. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. And I thank God, too, because we have incredible worship teams right here at the Crossing Church. Can you tell them how much you appreciate them? Pastor John, Pastor Bruno, Pastor Caleb, Natalia, the whole team. Listen, if you struggle to worship here, you're going to have an issue. I'm just saying. We have awesome worship here. So number one, worship God alone. God alone. Number two, this is even more difficult. Worship always. Worship always always. Now, I'm not saying you need to worship 24-7, that every waking moment you need to be singing, although we actually know a family that in their house, in their home, they have this one room, they call it their prayer room, and they play worship 24-7 just on loop. And then whenever they go pray or read their Bible, they go to this one room, and it's just constantly filling the atmosphere with worship. Not a bad idea. It's really powerful. But what does it mean to worship always? Here's a few verses on what it says. Hebrews 13, 15, it says this. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Philippians 4, 4 to 5 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Everybody say always. always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And if you need a jumping off point, if you're not sure how to worship or what to say, just turn to the book of Psalms and just read them as worship to the Lord. But I love this one, Psalm 100. It says this, "'Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that Yahweh is God. He made us, and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture.'" Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for Yahweh is good. His love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. I love those verses. It's so powerful. And I would say just to start, just to start, I try to do this as often as I can. As you're going through your day, walking through your house, at your job, just thank God for a moment. Just say, God, thank you. For my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for this job. Thank you for my life. And if you don't know what to thank Him for, say thank you for your son. Thank you that you sent Him to die for my sins. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a hope of eternal life. Hope that you will give me a peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence in my life and in my home. Come meet with me even now. You can do that. Just take a moment, even if you're not saying it loud, even if you're just saying it quietly. Just take a moment because He is worthy of our praise. Listen, do not let the trials of this world distract you. And do not let culture rob him of the glory he deserves. And listen, this Thursday, you have a prime opportunity. The first word of the holiday, thanks, that first part, thanksgiving. Take the time, thank him. But I'm reminded of the story of King David. You see, after David had an affair with Bathsheba, there was a son. And Bathsheba gave birth to this son. But shortly after he was born, the baby died. Surely it was a difficult time in David's life. But I want to read this one verse. Right when David hears that his son has died, watch what he does. 2 Samuel 12, verse 20, it says this. Then David got up from the ground, he washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went to the Lord's house and worshiped. He went to the Lord's house and worshiped. You see, so often when we go through a difficult time or we experience tragedy, we have the opposite reaction. And it's understandable. But we react and we want to push God away. Sometimes we want to push other people away. We want to push anyone that's trying to help away. But I challenge you in those moments, don't distance yourself. Don't distance yourself, especially from God. Rather, press in the other direction. Worship through the tears and sadness. Glorify God amidst the pain, and I believe you will feel his presence even stronger then than you ever have before. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, he writes about those going through suffering and difficult times, so often they feel alone, and they feel like there's a knocking at the door of their heart, and no one is answering. But C.S. Lewis says, more often than not, it's God knocking on the door of your heart, and a lot of times we have trouble letting him in, letting him into what we're going through in our struggle. And so I encourage you, worship God always, even in those difficult times, in those difficult moments. Open the door, let Him in. He will grieve with you and then give you peace and hope in return. So, worship God alone, number one. And number two, worship always, in every situation, no matter what, worship always. And number three, worship in awe and reverence. Worship in awe and reverence. I want to go back to the first, the Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. It says, All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a different distance. You see, our God is an awesome wonder. Our God is all powerful. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is so strong, so worthy, so glorious. Even the angels cry, Holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Just look at some of these verses. First Samuel 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Isaiah 6 3, it says, One angel called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, his glory fills the whole earth. And Psalms 96, verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. So often the Bible talks about his holiness, his glory, his power, his majesty. And you know, we talk about God and the Bible talks about God as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It talks about God as our Abba Father, the one we run to and we are comforted by. But I've sometimes wonder if in our culture today we've lost the reverence, the reverence and respect for God, for who he is, for how majestic he is. And that while we are unworthy, he makes us holy for he is holy. That as we give our lives to him, that he will meet us where we are. You know, if you need more inspiration, I would encourage you to look with your eyes to the heavens, to the universe. There's so many apologetic arguments for God's existence in the universe, from the beginning of the universe to why it's fine-tuned for life. It's so easy to see God there. But I want to show you this illustration on the Apollo 8 mission. In 1986, or I'm sorry, 1968. 1968, the Apollo 8 mission, the astronauts circled the moon for the first time. As they came around the dark side of the moon, they saw a view of Earth. And Captain James A. Lovell said this. Here's the view that they saw. They call it the Earthrise sunrise. They call it the Earthrise, And as they circled the moon, this is what they saw. And Captain James A. Lovell said this, as I observed the earth, I realized my home is a small planet, one of nine in the solar system. It is just a mere speck in our Milky Way galaxy, lost to oblivion in the universe. I began to question my own existence. How do I fit in to what I see? All these big questions in the minds of these astronauts. But I love this part. During their Christmas Eve broadcast that day in 1968, the astronauts tried to figure out what to say, what to broadcast back to the world from this side of the moon. This is what those astronauts felt the only appropriate response should be. And we're gonna play this audio clip. Of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. How amazing. (laughs) Romans chapter 1, verses 20 says this For God's invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. And as a result, people are without excuse. The last line strikes to the heart. Paul is saying, if you just opened your eyes, you would see God everywhere. He is worthy to be praised. Let no idol or anything else take his place. I want to end with this final quote from C.S. Lewis. It's lengthy, but stick with me. C.S. Lewis is talking about that day, the day when Christ will return to this earth. What will happen when Christ returns? Listen to his words carefully. He says, God will invade. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it's the end. When the author walks on the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream? And something else, something it never entered your head to conceive, comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time, it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. C.S. Lewis is talking about those verses in the Bible where it says when Christ returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Whether they confess the name of Jesus during their lives or not, every knee has to bow because that's the glory of God. That's the power of God. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he and he alone is Lord. And so right now, In this moment, like C.S. Lewis was saying, let us worship him, and if we haven't yet given our life to him, let's do that. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. First of all, let's just take a moment. As your heads bows and eyes close, just speak some worship to him. Just say, thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, I worship you. You are great and greatly to be praised. Your name is above all names. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no one beside you, no one before you, no one more powerful. God, I remove anything in my life that's trying to take your place. Remove any idols that I might be erecting instead of worshiping you. Help me to keep my eyes on you with every word I speak, every word of worship that I say, every song that I sing. Let it be only to you, only to you, God. And now, if you're here at our campuses and online, every head bowed, every eye closed still, we're going to pray a simple prayer. And this is the prayer of salvation. It's not anything special about the words we say. It's the posture of your heart. It's saying, I don't want to wait till that day when I don't have a choice to bow or not. I want to do it today. When I have a choice where I can exercise my own free will to bow down and give my life to Jesus Christ. So everyone's going to pray this prayer together so no one's alone. Everyone say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I worship you alone. Forgive me of my sin." I believe you died on a cross and I believe you rose again. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you're saying, I'm bowing my knee to Christ. I'm giving my life to Christ right now. We want you to raise your hand on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. If that was you, just raise your hand. Here at all of our campuses, no one's looking around. This is between you and God. You're saying, I'm bowing my knee to him right now. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message. Don't forget to follow us on social media at We Are Crossing on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also watch all of our on-demand messages plus content for all ages, from elementary to students to young adults, at YouTube.com/slash/CrossingChurch. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to worship with you again soon.